as I walked on to Chateau Street, a fair maid I did meet. She asked me to see her home, she looked and blinked straight to me away. Sandy, my dear Annie, oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities, and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan. On this week's podcast, Raymond Byrne from the Hardway Home Team is back to reflect on his team's attempt to row a 25-foot boat from New York to Ireland over the summer. Raymond, who is from Waterford, along with Americans Chris McCaffrey and Ryan Cosgrove, were embarking on a 3,000-mile voyage to raise funds for the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. As listeners know, the journey was plagued by setbacks and the lads had to be pulled ashore to Cape Cod just one week into their initial voyage. They set sail again in July and appeared to be going well while overcoming more problems, including the boat's rudder getting seriously damaged. Eventually, though, they had to raise the white flag because of a technical failure. Ray says that they were about two-thirds of the way home to Ireland before eventually having to be picked up by a massive oil tanker. An inspirational and courageous journey which, while coming up short, can be better measured in bravery, ingenuity, determination and perseverance. The main thing is that all three men returned home safe. Ray gives me a recap on the trials and tribulations of the trip the problems they faced, and if they will attempt the feat again. Ray is now back working at his Chelsea restaurant in Manhattan called Wild. so we also delve into the current state of the New York City hospitality scene and how inflation is just the latest blow to the industry. If you'd like to donate to the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust, you can do so on their website, or if you'd like to find out more about the organisation, check out our previous podcast with Colin Bell. That podcast and all of our previous podcasts are up on the longhaulpodcast.com where we also have post-match interviews and reports on all of this year's New York GA finals. We also have plenty of boxing news ahead of Jason Quigley's world title fight next week and of course a great story on the near 150 Irish runners who completed the New York City Marathon last Sunday. You can also read about other Irish American sports stories and other news items on the site. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast. Ray, thanks very much for coming back on The Long Haul Podcast. It's good to see that you're healthy. Healthy, yeah. (laughs) Your most popular guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're a bit cleanly shaven. Tell me, how, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. You know, I've been back a, a few weeks now from the summer's adventures. Um, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Tell me just to recap, Ray. You set off back over the summer. Uh, the 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 aim was to roll from New York to uh, Waterford. Uh, yeah. You got stuck after the first week. T- uh, just give us a quick recap. The brief recap: We left uh, June fifteenth, aimed to row about from New York home to Ireland. After about seven or eight days, we had kind of power issues with the solar, and I talked about that before. So we took a, we got towed back into uh, Cape Cod, uh, where we kind of fixed that up. Uh, we thought, and then we left from Cape Cod. We were stuck in Cape Cod again then for like nearly two weeks. Um, and then we left from there after, I forget which, there was some 
hurricane. We dealt with a lot of hurricanes and tropical storms over the course of the summer. Um, so we left there again on July 10th. Uh, so that's pretty late, very late in the season to be attempting to do this. You want to kind of be out of the water before September, which will kind of come into play later in the uh, story. So we left on July 10th and we headed back out to sea then. Tell me, so and how how many weeks were you at sea? Because we were, we were following you anxiously here. It went a bit quiet on the, on the social media and I was like, these guys are going to make it. They're going to make it. Everything seems to be going okay. I know. We were out there all together for like nearly 60 days, including wow. the, the first week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, I mean, the boat, our boat, Barney, was kind of... The boat herself was great, right? But everything on the boat broke on a daily basis so we were running like a full-time shop on the boat to keep this boat bits of the boat would just be taken apart to put other bits of the boat back together um just like day after day after week like all the major the water maker broke the power broke again the aftermath of hurricane henry ripped the whole rudder off the back of the boat in the middle of a storm which was kind of a very sketchy evening out at sea. Um, and, uh, but we fixed it all, you know, and then we got kind of done in in the end by a computer chip in uh, the new power system that got, that got wet and essentially kind of doomed the, the trip. Yeah, I saw a picture of the, the rudder. It was just destroyed. Yeah, the rudder, I mean, that day was, uh, I mean, that was shortly before we kind of had to abandon ship. Um, and we sometimes this like you get the swell height out at sea, but sometimes after like the hurricanes and that, where they're just coming with so much more force and water in them, the waves. Um, and we were probably out there, and it was probably going eight foot, ten foot waves, which when they're whipping in is they're big waves when you're looking at them, and then the sea was still building. So we had like a storm drogue out the back of the boat, which kind of functions like a break almost. So it catches the water as you go over the waves in the next one. So you don't like go flying down the the face of the waves uh, for the bigger waves. Um, And then I suppose you got to think as well, if it says it's like 10 foot swell, every now, every like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, there's a way bigger set. So there's probably like 15 foot waves in the 10 foot swell. So you'll feel them every night, like it's just massive waves come. So the back of the boat was getting kind of a little bit rocked sometimes by the bigger swell. Uh, but we've done it before on the drogue and it, it worked well. Like essentially you don't, you're not even rowing. You're just trying to keep the back of the boat straight so you don't go topple down the waves. And then... We were sitting there and something started to feel like you could just feel the back start to tip out on the boat, the stern. And I said to Ryan, I was like, I must have been in the front or out on the deck doing something. I was like, Ryan, Ryan, ch- check what happened at the back. And he put his head out the back hatch window, uh, the hatch door, and he's like, oh, and we're like, what, what, what? He goes, it's gone, it's gone. And I literally thought he was talking about like, a pin or some little part of it. Uh, no, the whole thing was ripped off by a, by a wave. Um, 
so that was not great. And then because the seas were getting bigger and bigger, we couldn't do anything about that in the moment. So we switched to like the power anchor, which is the sea anchor. Um, so now the boat is kind of going every way because the drogue, we have to pull the drogue in to like to put out the other one. And now we're in big waves that are getting like kind of topply and you're out on deck and you don't want one of them like crashing down and just like sweeping you. I mean, we're tethered in, but you're going over if one of them hits you. Um, so got out there, put out the power anchor, which held us into like the predominant swell. So like if you think the wind is kind of blowing the biggest, the bigger waves, so they're following, that's where it's coming from. But there's also other swells coming in different directions. So the power anchor is going to hold you into whatever the most force is. So wherever the wind is blowing, it will blow you back that way. And then the line catches the parachute, which um, holds you in place and brings you up and down the big, like the big waves. But the issue was, um, if you have the, if you don't have a rudder in the water, those smaller swells are just pushing you beam into these big waves. So even though we have a line here, we're now getting pushed by these other waves into the big waves. Um, and there's nothing we could do about that. So like essentially during the daytime, you're just looking, one guy's looking out the window and you have to lock everything down because it's more than likely you're going to go over um, at some point, right? So we're sitting there. We nearly capsized uh, once uh, where literally it's like the whole boat just goes the whole way up and Chris, uh, Chris is not a small boy, just fell out of the sky on top of like <laughs> me and Ryan. Um, and so that was kind of, and even during the daytime, because you can see like so, like you can see miles away pretty much, right? It was still a kind of a clearish day. Um, and you can see those massive big waves coming in and kind of brace for them. Uh, so we would be like, oh, set, set coming. And then we would all like hold the side of the boat and you try and brace yourself in case we like spun over. Um, but then the nighttime comes and because in the cabin, everything is totally shut. It has to be airtight for the roll. Uh, it gets really clammy. Like the sweat is just coming down your face. The walls are literally wet to touch with the condensation. And then the power is all kind of down. So there's just like a red light. So the three of us are just in this small little capsule with a red light on. And now you can't see the big waves. So all you can do is hear them. And you can just hear the as it gets closer. And they just bang the boat, bang, bang, bang. And then the boat gets lifted up. Um, so it was an interesting night. I mean, it's pretty, no one spoke. Like it was just, you would hear the, like the white water like kind of like that low growl, just get closer and closer. And sometimes it would like crack the boat, send the boat up. And then other times it would kind of just miss you, kind of kick the back. Um, so that was a, there wasn't much sleep had that evening. I could imagine. Um, yeah. But we got up like the next morning when the door, like it got bright and the, the seas kind of quelled a bit in the, uh, in the morning. I mean, we've we've been through fixing so many things. We were getting pretty like hardened to being out there, you know. Like it didn't. Yeah. Like again, it's it's like a shell by waves for you know 
12 hours, six to eight hours maybe. But got up in the morning and we're just like, we have to get on with this. So started to build. We had a spare rudder, but it tore the bracket off and everything. So we were like making and shimming like pits of wood, which have to be like kind of precise, which is, it's not a wicked hard job if you were at home sitting on stable land but like we had like limited tools making these like exact pieces of wood um with like a chart plotter like to measure them and uh kind of all like to fit together um and then putting it in where like you're not in a stable environment and the rudder is a massive piece of wood that now has to go into the sea and be held tight while the boat's moving in like a decent sized swell so the minute you put it in it just wants to go wherever the current is going and we have to get all these bolts in so ryan is on the bottom the hatch is like big enough for one guy to stand up in so ryan is out the hatch with his belly on the hatch i'm on top of ryan and then chris is holding my ankle so i don't fall in off the back um so we're putting in like Ryan is so far down because there's a pin has to go in from the bottom and we're trying to hold this thing and get the pin in. Um, and then we manage, like it took everything we have is like tied into strings in case we drop it. So like every little tool is like tied in, but we get to the last bolt. You can't tie the bolts in. So we have this bolt uh, where our like, the bolt that goes from the piston into the rudder, and it, we have only one bolt that fits that. Like, it's a specific bolt. There's no replacing this bolt, and there's no real workaround because it's like a stainless steel fitting. I have the bolt. Ryan is trying to hold it, and like we're, he, and he goes, dude, don't drop the bolt. Don't drop the bolt. And I was like, I can't do and we were trying to do that and we are sweating trying to get this bolt in and like everything is going up and down but we got it in and uh, got, it, got it all tightened and we sat back after that one and I mean I have to say I was, I was impressed with us for getting some of these things done out there I mean it was wild fixing that rudder uh, and actually getting it working perfectly again um, and then funnily enough like two days after that was when the uh, the the power system kind of went down again, and there was there was no fix in that one. So how long did you go with the the new rudder? Two days, was it? Couple of, couple of days, yeah. The rudder was fine. It was fine. I mean, the rudder would have been fine. I mean, we would have we would only been arriving around now if we if we could have kept going. And yeah. and the thing is, like our risk tolerance is pretty high. But being out there for September, you start to see the like the big weather coming in. So there was like Hurricane Larry passed was just like say after we got out of the water, it was pretty close, like the week after that. And that crossed over some of the places we had been. Now I don't think it would have hit us, but you don't know, like whatever the path is. But that was churning up like forty to fifty foot swell near the Grand Banks. Uh, at like 150 mile an hour winds at its peak. So, I mean, that would kill us, you know? So it's good that <laughs> we weren't there for that. How, how, was there any, like, the fear of God put into you at all at any stage when you were there, when, when the waves hit you? Do you ever think, 
like one wave and you're gone? Was it any? I don't know. You know, like I, I like. I think maybe I just have a different. Like I didn't feel. I felt pretty sturdy where we were. You know, I don't think we would have wanted to go from like those twenty foot. I wouldn't like to be out there in waves that were twice as big as the ones we were in, and the waves they were just massive. You know. Um, because there's only so much pressure the boat can take, but I was pretty confident that uh, we were okay then, you know? Yeah. Um, like the one time that I was kind of reminded, like, because you're just always getting on with things, and it's like, you're not really sitting, there's no time to kind of sit and dwell. Um, it's always just like, get it fixed, get rowing, keep going. Um, there's always kind of something to do, but one night we were out there and it was another kind of stormy night and we were doing the swap over. So you're getting up, like it's all wet clothes. You're putting on wet clothes to take them off again in two hours. Um, and the guy who's on deck, he's been rowing for like three hours at nighttime. And I'm getting up at like 2 AM to go out to start rowing for three hours. And you get out, everything's very noisy in a storm out there. So the rain is like beating down. The guy on deck kind of just wants to get back inside, you know? So you're kind of mumbling over and back. The visibility is a little bit lower, but when I get out to change the oar, the wind is blowing everything around. So usually the oar is in an oar lock. So if you let it go, it just kind of flips to the side of the boat and this lock, which is a pin and a, and a, a fastener, holds it uh, to like a massive amount of pressure. Um, so what had happened was I went out, this is when we were in like the Arctic current, the Labrador. So it's after getting kind of cold at night, uh, kind of off Newfoundland. It comes down the side of Newfoundland. Uh, so again, the boys had put like mitts, these kind of mitts for the first time on the oars. So I was trying to get my hand in and the oar slipped out of the mitt which is fine. And I expected just to put my hand up. The rain is like beat, beat down. And I put my hand up and the oar's not there, you know? Um, so I'm like, and we only had two good sets of oars. The oars that we had to replace them weren't as good. So immediately I'm like, where's the oar? And I get down on my knees. I'm trying to hold like my cushion and stuff that's just going to blow away. And I'm on my knees. I get to the side of the boat in like a few seconds. And I look up and the oar is already gone. Like you can see the fluorescent collar, the center of the oar, and it's already gone like 50 meters, you know, in a few seconds. And then five seconds later, it vanished into the sea. You know, like there's no, and for me, like I was just sitting there thinking, I'm glad that's not like one of the boys, you know, yeah. like losing the oar is, but that was a human error. It's like someone forgot to fasten that properly. And like it didn't break. It was, uh, someone forgot to do it. So we would take, like someone took the oar out, forgot to fasten it. And I mean, that could just as easily happen with like a safety knot, a tether thing, you know? So there was a couple of times where things broke or, but if you went overboard in any kind of like lack of visibility, only if like you fell off overboard in like perfect conditions is someone kind of coming to get you, you know? Like you're gone 10 seconds and then two hours later, like you'll die of hypothermia and probably slow around because you have your life vest on. 
Jesus, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, say, if you were all on deck and three of you were blown off, like, who's like, is there anyone watching you to to keep an eye? You need to say we got to send out a rest of the team here. I mean, that would be unlikely because there's always someone asleep. And the funny thing is, right after a few weeks, when the fatigue kind of starts to set in, and that with um, you're rowing twelve hours, the water maker broke. We can get into that. We're pumping water multiple hours a day. So at the start, like if something made a beep, like everyone was up, you know, like yeah, what's yeah. going on? You could have set off a grenade on the deck about four weeks in and whoever was asleep would just go, nothing to do with me. Do you know? Like if, you, like if people just slept through like logs, through everything, like you just conked out for that like nighttime sleep. People just didn't care. You could be in the cabin. You could sit on them. They were just like, this is, I got to get some sleep. Um, so if you fell in, I don't think the other two boys would even wake up. I mean, people were just like out cold. And you're talking like it's noisy all the time. People are in and out of the cabin. They're like on top of you. And people would just sleep for the whole thing. Whoa. Yeah. Tell me, um, physically, how, how were you feeling after a couple of weeks? Grand. Do you know, it was, it's so funny. Like a lot of people, you hear about like the disruptions or the problems being like between the people and their bodies, you know, like they start to break down on that. Yeah. We didn't have any issues um, with either the, the morale on board or our bodies. You know, there was no... Didn't have any skin issues. Ryan had this uh, great kind of salve that, like, they make near his house in California. Uh, all good goop. Shout out them sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> but the stuff was just magic. We put it on um, like our hands multiple times a day. Like we still built up all the calluses, but your hands remained per- like perfect. We had no salt sores. No, uh, there's a little bit of the pressure sore kind of thing creeping in after like 60 days though you know it's like people start falling apart after a couple of weeks out there um so there was we didn't have any of those problems that a boat broke literally daily like there yeah. was there wasn't a day where it went by where it's like something didn't fall off something you know so that kept us uh, maybe would have been better like us breaking down a bit and the boat not uh <laughs> falling apart all the time I, I think all the problems just seem to embolden you more, did it? The daily setbacks, it was just... It, yeah, it was funny, actually. I remember, like, the, like because it's so, like, ecstatically high and then big lows, um, and you get into it, and, I mean, I like that, you know, I kind of like the, getting the push on that kind of front. It definitely makes you feel, uh, makes you feel alive, you know, uh, when you're, like... Yeah, it's getting kind of risque out there. Um, but those things, we got it. We had a, a spell once for like a week where nothing really happened. Do you know, like there was no like great disasters or there was no real danger or that. And then I remember thinking at the like during that week, I was like, this is like kind of just getting boring, you know? Um, but I just started laughing at myself. I was like, like if you had asked me the week before when something broke or it was going to be over or whatever, that I would have given fucking 
my hand to stay there, you know, and now I'm complete. Like it lasted like two seconds. I just started laughing at myself. I was like, "Oh, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. boring, yeah." <laughs> so tell me what 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 ultimately uh, failed you in the end? It was the power system, was it? And that was a new power system that she had put in at Cape. Con- it was a new one, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, the problem with, it, it, I mean, essentially, Andrews were from. Like if I had all the money that was eventually spent on that project at the very start, we could have like the boat would have been in a lot better condition. But the issue is you kind of have some money to do it here. Then all these sponsors kind of showed up right right near the end, especially the bigger cash ones. So we were kind of rushed to get jobs done. And you're putting blind faith and you have to into like a bunch of people who say they know what they're doing. Um, and they're not just random people I mean both people different things and like some of the these mistakes were made before we left not to do with the, that power system but some other things where it was just like uh, so if it had all been put together so we really were just kind of shoehorning that power system onto this boat you know um, and it worked amazingly well until we got to so the weather just started to get a lot worse consistently like it was stronger towards the end. So like the waves were bigger all the time. Um, and once you get to like a certain wave height, the swell height, they start to crash onto the boat all the time. So you like everything starts getting wet all the time. And you close again, if you're going to in a kind of bigger swell, you have to close everything in case you get like brought up and toppled down the wave or something. So then when it's all closed, it's wet inside as well because the condensation is like pools of water literally on the floor. Um, so this, this thing started to get wet and then is, if you leave the door open, it gets hit by a wave. So, so water soaked into it um, and it got to this uh, motherboard. Now I called everyone literally on the planet to try and get this thing fixed and we eventually talked to the people who made it in germany and they told me that it doesn't uh what was it oh no it's a uh, maintenance free and i was like oh great well it's broke unless <laughs> it needs maintenance and i'm like some of the support people you call like that make so-called like emergency industrial equipment like you just call them and you're like they're like i'll oh, plug it into a computer and you're like, what are you talking about? Like, so yeah, we would call all manner of support people. I mean, the water maker broke. They sent us the wrong parts. So they looked like the right parts. And the water maker, pretty essential piece of kit. Um, so the motor broke in the water maker and it was drawn. There's some kind of resistance in there. Uh, and we didn't have the tool to actually open up. They'd sealed this motor. You weren't supposed to open it. So it was sealed to like just a stronger degree than we could actually do anything with, with the tools we had, the kind of basic tool set. Um, so we take it off of that and there's a hand pump kit. So you, you change from using the motor pushing the piston to uh, a big, like long levered handle. So I had ordered this kit from them. Again, it's like emergency, it's life-saving equipment. They sent it out. Now, I looked at it when I got it, and it's pretty straightforward. Like, you kind of have a couple of brackets, the handle comes in, 
and you can see how it works. So I was like, okay, great, packed it. Now, when we took it out in real life to use it, it turned out that all these pieces, they sent like two left ones instead of a left and a right. They had milled the things wrong. They were too big to fit into the, um, the positions. They put a bar in where the bar was supposed to slide through from a fixed position on the motor. They put a bar into the handle. So like a machine pressed it in so it wouldn't come out. But it's impossible to put this thing together with this pin in. So we're just like, what is going on? You know, like we're drinking the, the ballast water, which is like the kind of skunky water that's used to keep the boat. Um, it's fresh water, emergency fresh water, but it's used to keep the boat, the weight of the, the bottom of the boat down. So we're drinking that. We're kind of boiling some of it, drinking it away. Uh, waiting for the storm to pass to fix the water maker. And then when we get the kid out, because we were looking at it, and you're just like, none of this fits together, you know? Um, so we ended up having to use, we used a jet foil, which we use to make the food. So if you put a jet foil on a new gas canister, it's essentially a blowtorch. So we blowtorch, Ryan blowtorched the end of the uh, handle to heat up the metal enough. And then we were like hammering out uh, these metal pins out of this handle and then the little all the uh fixtures all had to be filed with a like a letterman to try and put them in to hammer them in to use all these different bits on the boat to make this thing work and then we had to mount it it's a whole thing but it, it worked eventually which uh <laughs> definitely was the best tasting water um and it was yeah it was a magic moment fixing the things was the best like highs of the whole thing fixing the water maker fixing the rudder um where like you just think everything is gone and then you're using kind of your own uh creativity to get these things back online you know like we kept just comparing it to like you know people in like when they're the ingenuity of people in prison for making things because you just have to use there's a lot of things you can use and there's nothing else that's what it felt like on the boat, uh, where it's like, what do we have roughly this size? And we're like filing things down. So we got it there. The only problem was that we had to hand pump all the water after that. So it took like four hours, uh, which would only make like five liters of water. And I read after that, you're actually, I was like, how much water are you supposed to be drinking a day? So you're supposed to drink like three liters before your food or anything. And we were using like one and a half liters per man for food, drinking water. Um, so some of the, uh, like <laughs> you pee in a bottle inside the cabin if it was sketchy outside, you know, like if it's absolutely whatever it is, right? If it was dangerous or it's the middle of the night or whatever. So we would do that. And then you start like you, you clean the bottle in the ocean. Uh, and you're like looking at these small amounts of pee that are like definitely not the right color. Um, so we were rowing like 12 hours a day on a liter and a half of water for like a month. But I, I think we felt fine. I don't think that was actually uh, the, it didn't seem to be like, again, the bodies were fine. We were like running on uh, fumes. <clears throat> with you're, the made, you're made of something else, the tree V. <laughs> yeah yeah it was it, it it just didn't it's funny like 
the actual physical exertion of it, then you just kind of get into it, you know. Um, it actually, it was way harder when you couldn't row. Like if the three of us had to stay in the cabin on power anchor or in the bigger storm kind of stuff, like the cabin didn't fit three people. Like I can conclusively confirm that. <laughs> it fits It fits two guys. Um, and then, so you have three guys kind of like, they're with the gear and everything else. So you're always, it'd be like if you were like on a plane and you were forced to like sit like this or something, but then just try doing that for like 48 hours. Yes. You know, where it's like everyone would move a little bit and then you come back and you try and get like the crick out of your neck. So I think some of those days um, were at the start, they were probably like a break from the the rowing. Like the rowing at the start was harder till you kind of, you know, get into it uh, and your body starts to really adapt. But after a couple of weeks, I mean, I think everyone on the boat, rowing was their kind of savior, right? I mean, Chris used to, Chris is like, would take out his frustrations on, you know, he wouldn't get upset during the day, even if things weren't, not at any another person, but like, we weren't making enough progress. Uh, like we were in the banks off of Nova Scotia. So, I mean, essentially anything that could have went wrong on this trip, pretty much. And then not to like, obviously we could have, there could have been a lot serious yeah. things. In the minor things, like you're only supposed to come off the shore once because it's the hardest part because the tides are always dragging you back. So we did New York coming off the shore, Cape Cod coming off the shore. Then the wind blew us into Nova Scotia, the biggest tide. So then we did the whole of Nova Scotia and the whole of Grand Banks. So we did four tidal zones um, on this trip, which is like, I don't think anyone's ever done that because you just go like, you just go home. Like we spent two weeks in the fog off Nova Scotia and I mean, that was a wild experience. Like you can't see anything. It's just white all the time. Our kind of GPS navigation stuff seemed to be on the blink. It worked. You would row six hours and find out you'd gone the other way. Um, and when you're like that, and again, we weren't really demoralized. It was tough some days where you're just like, why are we in the tides? Do you know? Like, and I think that was, the wind kind of brought us there, but we perhaps could have had a better uh, plan coming out of Cape Cod, you know, that in hindsight. Um, okay. But Chris, let's say he would get frustrated at our lack of progress, but then he would just go out in the middle of the night and take it out on like the oars, you know, <laughs> like you, I'd go outside, I'd get up at 2am and Chris is like outside at Chris, a unit and he's wearing like no shirt and he's just like, <laughs> and you're like, morning. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me um when you how far out were you when you um when you called it a day and when you um were pulled onto the oil tanker and to t- talk me through what happened there? About two thirds of the way there, like just just under like we did like two thousand miles. Um and all like funnily enough, when you look at it, you're kind of like we only like we would have been just past Greenland, let's say if it comes down. Uh but it's so far away from the coastline, really, like where you travel all the way across. So we had about a thousand miles left to home. 
so there's still a good distance left. But the, the worst thing was the hardest bit is the first bit. Do you know, like by a measure of, like we'd done, we'd like done all the hard stuff, passed all the banks, got off the Grand Banks. And now we were supposed to be, it literally was supposed to be like, we just bring her home, coast yeah. it in, you know, um, if the weather kind of come with us. So when the power thing went, and I mean, I, I knew it was done, you know, when I seen this thing and I was like, oh, this isn't going to, and our solar, which was our original power problem, it's so cloudy there. And we had kind of older solar panels, uh, which worked amazing in the sunshine, but there's no sun up there. There was no sunny days for weeks, you know? Like you'd have a little bit of sun and it'd be like, oh, wow. Like we, had a, we were had, had like a kind of a party one day because there was a bit of a blue sky, you know? And it's like, we've been in fog for like a week or something. You see the sun. Uh, so the solar just wasn't as good as it wasn't creating enough power for us. So I text uh, the Canadian Coast Guard. Canadian Coast Guard were amazing. They were like so on top of us. Like they looked at the website. They like were writing us messages. They flew a plane out over us multiple times uh, to see if we were okay. Um, and the first day we didn't know. Who were, we were just like, this plane is dive bombing us out in the middle of the sea. Uh, and then it was the same. Uh, I was doing an, an interview with RTE or something. And these are literally the only things that happened that week involving other people. And this plane dive bombs the boat and I'm on the live radio thing. Time. <laughs> I'm like, I need to talk to both these people. So the plane came back the next day. And we were still like doing maintenance on the boat, just it happened to be at that time. And so then we talked to them and they were like, this is the Canadian kind of surveillance thing or whatever. And then like for the next day, Ryan was like, hey, look, we better, if you, if you hear a plane, start rowing hard immediately. Because they, <laughs> they, they they don't think we're doing anything. Out here. So the next day we call them and we're like, are you pulling the oars? <laughs> yeah. But they were great. So well, I texted them um, on our sat kind of text or in reach and i was like hey this is the situation we're probably going to burn the power in like 48 hours this other thing is beyond repair um and they were like look totally up to you i mean i was holding on that maybe we could just do it without do it on the solar with like basically no power and you but because we were being held up in new york and in cape cod this was going into September. September's it just starts to get super sketchy. It's like even before it, you get those kind of like bigger days and that. Even at the end, we were feeling that all the time. It's like eight foot, ten foot waves. And if you go out there and stand in like like minimum ten foot waves, I, like it's not. It's definitely not for everyone, you know. You you, you can you're like oh this is an interesting environment. Uh, so when that happened, they were like, you should call it before. That was their only recommendation. So the next day we found out we had like lost more power than we'd by, you know, a certain amount of uh, amps than we had gained in the kind of cloudy day. So I called the uh, Coast Guard and essentially you're like, we're asking for assistance. 
Um, now we're so far away that it's nothing to really do with the Coast Guard. They're just helping you facilitate something, you know. Um, and they like are doing amazing work. So they put out like uh, an email. It was how it worked out. And they asked ships that are somewhere because we weren't in any immediate danger. It didn't have to be like the closest boat. I mean, okay. essentially, we could have fought there pretty much for another month and a half, probably. You know, we're fully stocked. Um, but he was like, yeah, just stay on the call me back in four hours with your coordinates and we'll keep doing that. He called back like an hour later and he was he said, there's a, a tanker, the Magnolia Express, going to pick you up today, like later on this evening. And we were like, <clears throat> amazing, you know. Uh, now, that day did feel like the longest day out there. You know, <laughs> like your purpose has been kind of ripped from you. And suddenly, like, even though we live on this boat for 60 days, that day was that day was a long day. We packed up all our gear. We were we didn't really know with the tanker what the situation would be getting on the tanker. Anything we had read would be you go up like a rope ladder. Um, and then the sat phone call to the, ta the tanker uh, captain was very kind of broken down and it was like maybe he was there was going to be a boat i don't know we couldn't really make out what he was saying so anyway we like packed everything that was worth any money that we like the life raft some of the that power unit that uh cost like six thousand dollars and broke um the Etc. So we just kind of put that together. That was all heaped on the deck. And then we waited for uh, the tanker for like from kind of, you know, seven in the morning. And the tanker did amazing because they sped up so they would get us during daylight. Doing it during the nighttime would be uh, yeah. interesting. Um, so when they got there, it was funny. They were like, your man called us and he was like, can you see us? This is like massive. We we're like, oh yeah, we can see you. And he's like, oh, I can't see you at all, you know. Um, so he kept coming towards us, and he stopped like you know a quarter of a mile away, not even. Uh, and then we rode to them. And even on like a five foot swell day, which is, I mean, there's definitely a swell, but it's not like the the crazy kind of waves. But the side of the boat, the tanker, is creating this like big undulation up and down. And we go to try and we row towards the boat. So now the boat is like crashing into the side of the tanker. And this tanker was brand, I mean, brand new. It wasn't even six months old. And I'm just scratching the side of it with this boat. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I hope I don't have to like, they're going to bill me for painting this boat. After. The, front of, like, the front of Barney is like the nose of Barney is just getting crushed. It's just disappearing, like banging with the force against this, uh, like, not the whole, but like yeah. you could see it just breaking down as it hits the, the front of the tanker. Like the force level is just, it's creating this big pull into itself, the tanker. Tanker's like six, 700 feet long. It's just a massive boat. Um, then they're throwing down ropes, but they throw down the tanker ropes, which are like this big. And there's nothing on our boat that's supposed to be dealing with like two and a half inch rope. So there's no cleats to tie it into. So we're trying to figure out that. It's kind of chaotic because the boat is going every way. And we had, that was a, not an issue we had foreseen. It's like they're going to throw us ropes that we can't tie into. 
So now we're trying to get different rope to tie into that rope. To And again, everything is going everywhere all the time, uh, which is, I think that's the thing you kind of don't think of when, like, if you try to fix something, like try and use a drill, but now I'm going to do this with your hand, like every, um, just makes everything more difficult. So we try to get to tie this in, but they had this kind of basket thing that they lowered down, uh, which was amazing. So yeah, I saw we, a picture of that on Instagram, yeah. yeah. So we knew that we could kind of take the bags. So Ryan uh, kind of runs along, monkeys himself up, grabs this basket, gets him in. Then we start throwing the bags in. Then we get Chris in. Um, then we get, like, we're trying to take, like, this life raft weighs, like, 75 pounds. And the boat is kind of going everywhere. So we get that off. Um, and then to, I suppose one of the last kind of things I'd left the AIS on, which is the tracker on the boat. Uh, and we would have had enough solar power. Like that solar power would have gradually, like it would have powered it enough. So you could kind of see where the boat is. Um, and I'd left that on. And then one of the, like the last thing I did, I just reached back in. I turned it off. I was like, I knew we had to ban the boat. And I was like, I just, I don't want to know, you know, I, I was thinking, would it not bring up the boat? So you had to let the boat go, did you? The thing is, yeah. I mean, that would be a huge... Too, too big, it, yeah. it, The boat, they could have put it on the boat, I think. But, I mean, there was so much difficulty getting three guys onto that boat that tying these ropes, doing a full boat, ex- like extraction out of the water... It just didn't seem, I don't think it would have been possible. So then when you get off, I mean, you just cut the boat loose. I'd ask the Coast Guard and everything. I was like, well, what's, what do I do here? What's the protocol with doing this? They were just like, what are you talking about? Just get off the boat. Like, there's no, they're like, I was like, is there any like laws or am I going to get sued down the line? You know, like yeah. all the, like multiple steps ahead. Um, and they were like, there's no law where you are right now. <laughs> like, you're safe. We're in the middle of nowhere. You just leave that boat go. They're like, it's a big, big ocean. That thing's going to drift for years, probably. So I'm just kind of left there uh, holding the, you're trying to see what the last kind of pieces are. And I'm holding one of these ropes and I'm tired. And suddenly the boat drops out and the rope goes up. So I just go like multiple feet up into the air. And you're just like, okay. And I slip back down onto the boat. Um, and then I suppose the thing like, I was going to leave the tracking on. So we had like the, we still had like minor solar power. Uh, and I would leave the AIS on, which was like, would track the boat. But kind of the last thing I did before that, I was just like, I turned it off, you know. Um, I was, I have the kind of personality where I check that every like 10 minutes, you know. I just, yeah. I'm trying to get things in my life um, forever. Like, and then yeah. I'm just getting, so turn that off and then, got the last thing on and then kind of went, grabbed onto the basket and the boys pulled me in. Um, so yeah, then we walked up, got onto the boat. It was funny because they, all of them had like a COVID protocol. So everyone on the boat was wearing masks and they're like, they took our temperature and all this. And it was kind of like a weird scene, right? Cause it's all these guys with face masks on. And then we were led to go see the captain. Um, and just as we were going to kind of go up the stairs, we kind of wobbly legs as well, you know, like you go to set off at a clip down this big boat 
and suddenly like your kind of legs wobble because they're not used to walking um, that much, you know, yeah, like yeah. built it away over the couple of months out there. And then I just stopped for a kind of a minute, you know, I'm definitely full steam ahead kind of pragmatist most of the time, but I looked out then and I seen the uh, Barney's kind of drifting away. And I just went, ah, just, just give us a second there and uh, kind of stood there and took it in for him. Like what was, Felt like a long moment, but it was only a couple of seconds, you know, and I seen like a lot of time and effort yeah. went into getting that boat to that point, you know. And then you're thinking about, you know, it's disappointment that it couldn't have went the whole way um, and what that would have meant. And then and then, I mean, that's it. You just kind of got to soak that in for a second and then get on with it and find out that climbing like five flights of stairs is very hard when you haven't climbed a step in five months. We yeah. were like, I thought we'd be a lot fitter. After <laughs> a day. But it turns out uh, when your legs are kind of wilted, we were like, that was tougher than we expected. Um, got on the tanker. Everyone on the tanker was amazing. Uh, told them our story. They were like enthralled by the whole story. Um, and yeah, they like, it was a, a whole other adventure being on the tanker for nine days, coming back. Uh, to originally we were going to New York, but then we learned all about the petrochemical business as well, where we were selling the gas all the way like the last day, you know. So we ended up going to Boston in the end, um, and there was like a lot of confusion. It was funny the Coast Guard came to talk to us, so the Coast Guard came to check out the boat anyway uh, because of like the coastal regulations. And like, because it's a brand new boat, they had to see the fire drill and all this. But uh, when the Coast Guard came, they said, they sent like this, she was like this really attractive Coast Guard woman. And we were just like, who is this? You know, I'm trying to explain. And like, Chris and Ryan are just like, yeah, we brought like, we did this, you know? And it's like, <laughs> 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 hyping into this lady, you know? About like their badass adventure, um, it was yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. And it, like I mean, the Coast Guard were great. Coast Guard Lieutenant Commander of the Coast Guard sent a lovely letter to Captain Sandy saying thank you for rescuing our guys out there. Um, and but then they left, and we were like, everyone was kind of confused as to when we were getting off this boat. So it ended up being they were like, well, maybe immigration will be tonight or whatever. So we were like, okay, we'll go to bed. Uh, and then at like 1 a.m., the boat was after being taken into the port. But we didn't know that. It wasn't supposed to be the next morning. And you see that like these alarms go off and you're like, you've only been asleep an hour. And you're like, okay, okay. Um, and then they're like, oh, we're doing immigration now. So we come down the stairs and you get your passport, whatever. And uh, we get there and they're after hearing the story. And like everything when we got back to America was like, we were the boys, you know, like it was like, get out of the way of the boys. So <laughs> all the, the fellas on the ship, the like American immigration guys, was like, get, get out of our way. The boys are back. You know? <laughs> so they were asking us about the, the whole trip as well then. And like we did the immigration and we were like, oh, but we still didn't know what was going on. And we, we were like, when, like, when do you want us to get off? And they were like, you want to get off right now, you know, like unless you want to go to Rhode Island. This is like 2 a.m. in the morning by the time. So we ended up kind of rushing upstairs to get our uh, gear and everything kind of the last of it put together. 
And then we just went down and even the captain was like, oh, you're getting off now. But it, it just was, we weren't, uh, no one was expecting to have to deal with us along the way. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. their, pro- their whole system is so like, like locked tight. Um, so we ended up just getting off this boat and the bags were all heavy bags. You know, we were trying to salvage like the lifeboat and some of this power equipment. So they were all like 60, 70 pound bags, the heavier ones. Um, and we got down and we got off the boat and this, we're in like an oil refinery in Boston, somewhere on the outskirts of Boston. And then we just like sat on a curb at an oil refinery. For like, and that was like, that was the, it was the most fitting end. It was just a bus with like, you know, these like expedition bags mounted around on the street, just total silence in this like dimly lit, like oil refinery in Boston. Yeah. And then, uh, well, yeah, we ended up hanging out. We like, nothing is open in Boston 24 hours. Anyone from Boston listening, someone sort that out. It's desperate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We ended up getting a cab to like an IHOP and sitting there for like, six hours or something outside of Boston. And then, uh, and then we got a, a spin back to New York. We were trying to take the train, but it was right after hurricane Ida and the whole train was like packed and there was nowhere to put the bags or anything. So, uh, we ended up getting a spin back to New York, which is great. All right. Very good. So where, where exactly did they pick you up initially? The I tanker, or how far out were you? And where were they, were they going? They were coming from Europe to America. Was it? Yeah, they were like 240 miles away from us when they took the the call. Um, and they got there and I mean they were flying, you know, they got there in like 10 hours. They were yeah. motoring. Um we were six hundred and something miles from Newfoundland. So out way out in the middle of nowhere, basically. Like I, you're far enough away, there's no Coast Guard, the whole thing is like you're yeah. international waters. And that's when I was talking to the, like, because I was worried about cutting the boat loose, you know? And a coast guy was like, what's the law out here? Like, what's my, like, what's this picture look like a year down the road, you know? And uh, they were just like, it doesn't matter. You know, there's no law. You're like, you're in just total no man's land there. It doesn't matter. Like, you just, we just need you to get off the boat. You know, there's no, the boat could drift for years. And they're like, everything out there is, not worried about a 24 foot boat you know it is uh they won't even notice yeah. like if they wrote if they went over so how many days how many days at sea would you have been if if all was going to plan how many days left would you have had before you would have hit uh, waterford very hard to say you know like as we found out right yeah it was like the question was like oh when are you going to be in ireland and even like some people figured out that it wasn't as simple as that after like the first little while. But I mean, people are still stopping my mom in the supermarket at home going like, now what time exactly is he going to be into Dungarvan? <laughs> that was the great, um, I'd say we would have had, we would have been coming in the last week of September. Okay. Uh, would have been, so like last week, really, we would have been out there another month to okay. get it done. I, I figured. But I, I think that was one of the great lessons of the thing was that everyone is just so wrapped up in convenience now and everything is always made for to draw people towards convenience, like all like, you know, seamless, all these things. Uh, and you just expect to be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Right. 
And that just went out the window. You know, this was like, you can go where the kind of sea wants you to go. Like, if you don't want to die, you don't want to go towards this hurricane. Or, and again, you just kind of had let, let go of all that, you know, where it just became a very different, a very different world, really, than what most people are used to um, nowadays in like the modern world. I just have a, when you got on the boat that night, uh, I suppose you took a, a proper hot shower the first time in probably uh, two months and a good meal. How did you yeah. feel? How, how did you feel after that? Yeah, do you know what? It was like the shower was fine. Like the shower was nice, but almost having like because we all had our own cabins um, on the boat or on the tanker. Tanker, yeah. It, it was it was nice to just kind of and the meal so we <laughs> the captain brought us downstairs and like very hospitable and the first thing he was like kind of like they had a store where they kept all the let's call it the treats or whatever like a lot of like sweets candy chocolate and he brought us to there and he was like dude take whatever you want you know like you got and but we've been eating snickers like all day every day for like the past two months and like you just we were all just looking at these big boxes of snickers going I can never eat another fucking snake. Oh. <laughs> so we took one anyway because, you know, we were like, you know, to, uh, we're like, thank you so much. Thank you. And we had our like Kit Kat and our Snickers or whatever. And they brought us in then to the, the officer's mess for dinner. And they gave us like chicken and potatoes. And I mean, we just looked like savages eating the chicken, you know, we were, like ah, eating the bones and everything. And you could just see the captain was just like, just give them more chicken. They seemed to like chicken, you know? <laughs> but the food was amazing on the tankers, like three square meals a day, all Indian food. Um, and our whole lives were based around like 7.30 a.m., 12 p.m. for lunch, and then 6 p.m. for dinner um, on, on the boat, yeah. So it was, yeah, shower, all that stuff was amazing, you know? But it's doesn't take away from the you wish you were still on the boat <laughs> we wish we were still on Barney you know I mean it's like hot shower great whatever it uh it would have been great to to finish it off as well you know yeah so you would have plenty of time to reflect on the boat what are your time what are your what were your initial thoughts when you just had that kind of moment on your own in, in the cabin uh, as to how the trip went and a couple of weeks later how do you feel now compared to like initially you're, you're glad to be there's a certain release in safety, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. nothing happened to you on the tanker. So it's like suddenly you're in an environment where you don't have to worry about your own life and your guys' lives. So for me, it's like you just kind of let get to let go a little bit, which is a tremendous relief after like 60 days of it being kind of like we, we have a lot of issues to deal with constantly. Um so that, that was good. And I'm always moving forward, you know, like immediately I'm thinking, what's the next thing? You know, like we gave it, we gave it everything that we could. Uh, I mean, we solved more problems than I think I've ever seen on one of these ocean road things, to be honest. You know, like if you look at all the different expeditions before out there, but I think we did every one of their problems, you know? I think we're the only people to ever escape, like, four different tidal zones in one trip, you know? Now, I don't know, should we have to have that done that? But it, uh, <laughs> we did, and 
So they're like immensely proud of what we got done. And the funny thing, like a lot of people, a lot of people like messaging you, uh, like they're gutted for you, didn't get to Ireland. But like in reality for me, like I could always get a plane to Ireland. Like I obviously want to go see my family. But the point of it was never really to go to Ireland. The point of it was to go and experience what it's like in 20 foot seas in a very small boat with like lightning crashing down around you, you know, like that's what I was going out there for. You know, I wasn't yeah. trying to make the awkward way to get to Ireland. Um, so I definitely got, I got the experience that I went out there for. So for me, it wasn't uh for me, the trip was a, a success personally, you know, now overall as a project, it's like, it'd be nice to, <clears throat> to get her to Ireland. But uh, if you're going to take, if you're going to do these kind of things, you better be able to deal with disappointments. You're not going to sit at home crying about it. You know, it's like, if you want to do it, do it again. If you want to do something else, let's do that and uh, get on with it for the future that's my next question are you going to do it again or what's the what's the plan i think we're definitely going to do something again um for the amount of time and effort uh, and resources and everything that went into that trip the only thing that was missing in it was landing that boat in ireland you know so for me to put that amount of time money and energy into something and you're looking at a diminishing return as well, right? You get a target the next time. It's not as good as doing it the first time. Um, now, the only thing would be maybe the boat shows up somewhere and it's like, we got to go get the boat. Like that, I find that exciting, you know, where it's like <laughs> the boat is just trashed on a desert island somewhere and we go find the boat and then we Picks go to the boat. That's interesting. Um, but starting it all over from scratch again and getting there, I'm going to leave probably to, to someone else. There's a couple other Irish guys going next year, and they're going to crush it. Project Empower, 2022. Check them out. Cool. So, Ray, um, obviously, there's a lot of cost put into it. What, 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 like, can you give us an estimate of like, and how much it cost you? I know there was money being raised, and probably, I don't know, could you raise enough money to cover the cost? But we'll give us a bit <laughs> of an insight into uh, how, much, how, much, how much money you shoveled into it. Yeah, way too much. I mean, it like, so the thing about the money was, it's like it probably ended up being over 100 grand that whole trip. And again, it's like to do these self-supported expedition things, they're, they're hugely expensive. You know, it's a big step up from being like, you know, you're going to have to do an Ironman or something or whatever it is, right? These like the organized races where other people are taking on the organization and the safety stuff and all the rest of it. Um, so... I mean, yeah, it cost me tens and tens of thousands of dollars this trip. Now, we had the sponsors come in at the end, but it was funny. If I had all the money that I had that was spent cumulatively on it at the start, the trip probably would have been, I think we would have got to Ireland because a lot of the money came in with the sponsorship stuff right at the very end. And then we were like rushing to people, other people get excited about it right at the end. And yeah. it tough at the start to say oh i'm going to gamble this amount of money on this project and hopefully we get the sponsorship and then it's like is it an overreach so there's a lot of those kind of things go into it but you do have to look at it like it's like a business like the first time you do something to this level 
you have to do it yourself. You have to bootstrap it. You have to prove that you can do it. Uh, so even though we didn't get to Ireland, we proved beyond a doubt that we can do this style of expedition, right? And all we really needed was someone to come in and support it from the get-go. And that's, you know, we were definitely got there. If, we had, if the boat had been in better condition, uh, specifically the systems on the boat, the boat herself, the great, then we would have done that no problem. You know, like there no, we didn't have one issue with Rowan. We, we were knocking that out. We could have stayed out there for months more. You know, like morale was high. No, the like no man broke on that boat. You know, the boat broke down on a daily basis, which yeah. is obviously part of the project. In that, if we had the resources from the get go, um, I don't think. And if we had one guy, kind of like overseeing that kind of boat build, where it ended up being like three or four guys. And they were almost making mistakes just because it wasn't the same person. You know, like they were working in these, like, we're like, we need this done, like, in two days. We're leaving America in a week, you know, and things aren't being tested right. And that was always the case with every kind of system thing that went in. So with a kind of a, a longer time period, we, I think that would solve a lot of the, the issues, you know. Yeah, you'd have got a couple, you'd have big few sponsors. I saw there were some big donations at the end, and you had your main ones uh, at the beginning. And of course, you were ra- trying to raise funds for the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. Yeah, it's tough. Again, it's like with the expedition thing to really raise money. Like we were so disconnected um, out there, even though like the Instagram and the social media and stuff was running, we couldn't see any of that. We were just like sending pictures and text over a thing and that's it you know we don't really know what's going on so like we have to hold this little satellite thing out the window for 15 minutes trying to send like a picture so there was no like people right on the you'll only see the instagram after you come back and people are talking as if you're doing it you know um so doing anything even more than that like trying to raise the money on the go without uh like the dedicated kind of team to do that. Yeah. Because they're like just asking all the favors for people just to like, can you post this, do this and that. So, I mean, <clears throat> we raised like 10 grand plus in the end for Kevin. And then Brilliant. my friend, Eddie, who's, uh, whose mom was sick along the way and, and very yeah. unfortunately passed away. Um, so we were trying to do that as well. So I've been texting with Patty and I mean, hopefully we did some good, you know, you, you have to have the, the bandwidth to do it. Like, we just didn't have time. There's, like, literally on the boat, yeah. it's, you know, you don't have the energy to... The energy is about getting from A to B and staying alive, you know? it's uh, And that's kind of... <clears throat> that was... It has to be the focus, you know? So what, what, what was the dynamic like between the three of you, uh, Ray? Because I know you had not really met before the trip, so you're just getting to know each other. But in previous podcasts, you were saying that that was probably the best thing to happen that you didn't know each other going into it. So how did you manage, how, how did you get on the tree V for the, over the couple of months? And it was, uh, yeah, there wasn't, and it was funny. Like we, we had a, we had a great time, the three of us. Um, and like coming into it, uh, I don't know how to tell you the story, but Chris had suggested, uh, like that we do a kind of a group kind of counseling session with a guy he knows. Um, and, I was kind of skeptical at the start, but it turned out to be, it was a great way of just kind of setting out what people wanted from the trip and stuff like that. And, uh, 
I used to like the guys when they were like, what, what is your focus for the trip? And like Chris and Ryan were like, oh, I'm just trying to have a good time every day, you know, like bring the good, like the good vibes of the good time every day. And I was just be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Two <And> bros. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then like Sky, the, the, the guy was like, and for me, it was like, I'm totally focused on A, getting everyone safely from A to B and B, getting to B, right? And it's like, for in my head, having a good time is like, maybe, I don't know. It's not important, like in my head, you know? So then the boys like redid their one and they were like, for us to have a good time and to make sure Ray has a good time as well, you know? <laughs> And like they did it, you know, um, we, we, had a, we had a great time out there and it very much fit into like the dynamic kind of us all being in slightly different places in our lives, you know, from like 40 years old to 26 to 21. And that dynamic kind of just sorted itself out, you know, when it, uh, when we were out there, you know, yeah. so it was, uh, it went great. Yeah. On that front, for sure. Yeah. So uh, you're back to the day job now, back to the, the restaurant business with uh, Worthwild inside in, the, in Manhattan. Tell us what it's like to be back uh, doing a normal day's work. <laughs> no, like I got off an oil tanker on Friday and I was back at work Saturday morning. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I'm trying to relieve. I think people were more stressed about, you know, uh, so I'm back. And then, yeah, it's grand. It's funny, you slot right back into that and it only seems strange that you're like, two weeks ago, I was in like the aftermath of a hurricane in a small boat going up and down like 15 foot waves. Uh, and now I'm walking down like Fifth Avenue or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I thought that was fine. It, uh, again, just kind of getting on with it, you know, got home, have a bunch of kind of, Big projects in my head business wise we have it like we're talking about stuff on the adventure side as well um so i've got a ton of ideas and uh it's i've got a lot of energy you know my <laughs> yeah i could see that man <laughs> yeah. bigger looking, and better looking for the next thrill yeah for sure yeah always what was the your family's reaction um your 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 what you're married aren't you your wife's reaction when you get back was just more than safety or yeah she was i mean she had said i think she thought at the start it was a little bit tougher than she was expecting you know um and then you kind of get like like everything you get used to it um <clears throat> but yeah she was obviously delighted i was back um i mean i didn't even see her like she works like a lot of hours. Um, she works at the hospital. So like, I didn't even really see her for the first week, even two weeks I was back, like just kind of, you know, a few kind of captured moments. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, everyone's delighted you're back, you know, and they slot back in pretty, uh, pretty easy. But I, I don't think going anywhere for two months or four <laughs> months or whatever, like anytime in the next, yeah. She Shorter want, next little while. She wants a good holiday now, Ray. You'll have to give her a good holiday. <laughs> and already, that deal has been made. <laughs> I was making all 
because before I left, just everyone's gone on holidays now. My business partner, uh, the world has left me. I'm the one in New yeah. York. Yeah. What, Tevi, just because we touched on this in previous podcasts, um, with the bar and the restaurant industry, so you're back into it now. Are you seeing what kind of uh, changes are you seeing? Uh, I see that business is kind of down in the last couple of weeks and months. So how have, how's the business been going? Yeah, I mean, business is great for us. Um, <clears throat> I mean, in my mind, it's like, I'm always looking at that like it's time to expand, you know, like we're yeah. moving on to the next thing um, as soon as we can. And we have all that kind of in, in, in the motion. It'll be very interesting to see how the winter goes. I mean, we have a big outdoor setup now because of COVID where it's, it's kind of an unknown, right? Are, we going to, are people going to sit outside if those things are kind of enclosed? Um, we obviously have like the, everyone being vaccinated to come inside, I think has freed up a lot of the event side of the business. So now people feel a lot more comfortable with booking, you know, 40 people events for a private room at any, anywhere. Right. So businesses feel like they don't have the liability level, I think. So that's a great, that's a huge driver of revenue in the like last quarter of the year, obviously Christmas parties, all the rest of it. So, I mean, again, there's a lot of still money floating around out there where like death, where it's like the landlord stuff. That's like a lot of that has to be yet fully decided um, with who owes because we had gotten to the end of they, they had the restaurant revitalization fund, which they, the government just made a total hames out of. That was just a disaster. There wasn't enough money in it. They designated that only certain people were going to get it. Then there was a bunch of court cases about the discrimination in that, and then they changed their minds, and then the like it like just like absolute bureaucratic nonsense. Um, but restaurants fell off the like top of the like woe betide me list, you know. And unless you can get the money when you're at the top of that list in the public eye, right? If the public doesn't think you need it, the politicians don't care. Yeah. So restaurants are not on that the top of that list anymore so getting that fund replenished um is going to be it's, it's probably not going to happen <clears throat> so the thing is a lot of the landlords and everything were waiting around to see everyone just wants to see that where the last of the money lies and we're getting to that point pretty soon like there's not going to be any more big covid relief things or unless a lot of things collapse because of it so it's, it's going to be an interesting year in in the restaurant and the bar business. Um, I think there's a lot of like the last kind of dominoes have to fall uh, yet, but we'll see. I, I feel good, but if you can stay in the game, you, you should be fine, I think. And the restaurant is worthwhile, isn't it? What's the address there, Ray, in case people want to go in and see a celebrity? Ninth Avenue, between 19... 19- oh, <laughs> <Come>, Yeah. <laughs> You know? Picture taken. <laughs> a div, div, um, is it your extra space you have? Is it out in the road or do you have somewhere indoor that's an, uh, out the back? What's the, the extra outdoor dining area that you have a back space as well? All right, okay. I have to commit to like being the kind of villain in the neighborhood sometimes, like even to one person, you know, who's going to yeah. call three for one, like just and not even, I'm not talking like four in the morning, people outside at like eight o'clock. Um, so we built out the front, so down the street on Ninth Avenue, and the neighboring landlords were kind enough to let us 
kind of expanded down the street. I would have just kept going. I mean, I'm trying to take over the meatpacking district. <laughs> this wooden structure keeps growing all the yeah. way down the avenue. It's just going to like bridges are going to go over the avenues. We're just going to keep <laughs> Yeah, I've noticed that for a couple of restaurants I'd see around the place, you know, they would have had a, a small inside space. I know they've got big outdoor spaces, which is great. So they probably nearly have more seats now yeah, as, yeah. Uh, in total, which is great. And everyone's sitting outside. And it's, I think people yeah. get it. It's, it's great sitting outside in, in, in the summer rather than being indoor. And the- It's going to be an interesting mess, that whole thing, because obviously, like, some of the building stuff needs to, like, some of them look amazing and then some of them look awful. And yeah. the awful want to be the problem. Do you know that people people already are complaining about them? But it's it's going to be very hard for them to standardize properly when they try and make they're trying to make them permanent next year. But like even like the running of the power for them, where like you just have random power wires running around. Like for them to start to figure that out is and then obviously the city will need to make proper money off them. Um so we'll see. I don't know. That's all still in the works. But I mean, I'm a hard yes on keeping worthwhile 70 seats out there. <laughs> are you are you seeing is inflation having a big effect on the bar restaurant industry? I mean, the costs involved in running a restaurant are just way higher now. Food costs, supply chain, everything is broke because of COVID. Uh, and a lot of the time uh, people can't like wild things, like the liquor companies are like, oh, this liquor brand can't get bottles, you know, so we can't do that. Uh, obviously, the labor market, it's impossible to hire like a line cook. Um, the There's a bunch of like kind of back end things that are making it very hard, but there's only so much like I would always look at like the different metrics in like service, let's say you're looking at service the food different things so in new york you have to be like say out of five i think a five on food five on service and then you have value which you'll see in a lot of reviews and we can track kind of what how much value people think they're getting and in new york four is kind of the maximum for us anyway that you can kind of shoot for uh and even then we would have to raise prices but there's just a ceiling on what you can raise them to you know before people are just like it's way too expensive Yes. But you're just like everything costs just way more than it did a year ago, you know. So, I mean, the margins definitely aren't as good. But what are you going to do? You just got to stay in it, and hopefully, it comes good. And I think a, a lot of all this stuff will flatten out in the next kind of six months to a year. You know, it's not nothing is nothing's forever. We'll finish on a high note, Ray. Uh, <laughs> you're you strike me nothing phases. Yeah, your positive mindset just shines through. What lessons did you get from the whole trip, and has it made you what? What like um, what would you say to people who are trying to go out and achieve something that seems to be unreachable? Have you any kind of uh, thoughts or reflections on that? Yeah, I think the lesson that and what like for going on these kind of trips, you kind of learn <clears throat> like how kind of tough you really can be or what you're capable of you know where sometimes like even over the last <clears throat> kind of years i'm like i'd like i have to get home earlier sleep more like kind of that kind of stuff where it uh and now i've just come back and i think i'm like bulletproof you know <laughs> i'm like 
I'll stay, you know, I'll do it. And I just think everyone's comfort level, it teaches you what you're really capable of. Um, and I just, people are complaining to me about stuff and you're just like, what are you talking about? You know, and nothing phases me, you know, where it's like, that's fine. I mean, it's like, and you only have to think back to like how you felt in some crazy situation at sea. Um, so that's definitely, and I knew that going into it. That's why I do all this stuff because it does make you kind of unfazable and just be like, kind of get on with it. But I mean, I suppose it's a lot of the stuff is cliche about like going to achieve this or to like, just do it, you know? And it's like, it's never going to be easy, right? You're always people, you're going to have to try and keep doing it, especially if you want to be the guy, the vision guy and the like, you have to just never give up. I mean, people are laughing at me about that boat trip or like, they're like, oh, that's never going to happen. Because again, everyone just thinks of things in this convenient modern lifestyle where you dream like these little dreams and then it's like very easy to do them. Um, And it's like, if you really want to kind of start jumping levels as you go up, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take a few years to get it together. Uh, You have to be able to convince people, other people to buy into this thing. Um, And then you just got to grind away at it. You know, it's uh, and you will get there. You know, I, I really do believe that everything in my life that uh, is come that way, you know, all the successes have been from just pushing, pushing, pushing uh, way, way beyond where other people think other people would have stopped, you know. <clears throat> so that's that's my only advice to people. But again, it, it's personality driven. I'm just very like that. Uh, and if you can do it that way, yeah. Go for it. Just get on with it is my kind of like, stop yapping about it. Like, <laughs> just do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear a lot of people talk a lot and no one really goes. Uh, that was evidently true from like, there's about 10 people dropped out of this trip along the way and they did a lot of yapping about it. <laughs> All they had to fucking do was show up and row, you know? And uh, so that's my my advice is you just, if you have a big dream, get on with it, get it done. Cool. Uh, can people still donate or what's the, can people still? Yeah. If you want to donate, just go to the Kevin Bell website uh, and you can always donate to them. I mean, they're set up as, you know, they're a big charity at this stage where uh, you can get, uh, get money to them. Great cause. Uh, hopefully we'll work together in the future again. And yeah, definitely support them. I mean, it's, it's, they're doing amazing work. Okay. Ray, thanks very much. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It was a fascinating journey. I was enthralled by it. It was inspiring. Uh, your credit, yourself and Ryan and Chris, fair play to you. And hopefully you'll do something again in the future. We'll be back for the next one. Don't <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> thanks, Michael. Ray, thanks a million, bye. I appreciate it. I will pop into the restaurant some, some weekend. Why, Santi, why be Randy? That's all for this week. Let us know what you think by leaving us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast or visit our website, thelonghaulpodcast.com. Please like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. This will ensure that we can get even more episodes to you 
more often. You can check out all of our previous podcasts on thelonghaulpodcast.com, where we also have post-match interviews and reports on all of this year's New York GA finals. We also have plenty of boxing news ahead of Jason Quigley's world title fight next week. And of course, a great story on the near 150 Irish runners who completed the New York City Marathon last Sunday. You can also read about other Irish-American sports stories and other news items on this site. Slán and thanks for listening. Oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? And when we got inside the house, the drinks were passed around. The liquor was so awful strong, my head went wrong.